Welcome to What Would Jesus Tech, a podcast where a theologian and an engineer apply the texts of scripture to the technologies of today. Today we consider our digital possessions, our physical possessions, and how we keep them secure in light of the fact that we have a God who keeps us secure. How do we think about them and how do we do passwords well? How do we do um, logging in and websites well? Do we use LastPass? Do we have encryption? Um, What are the actual tools and tips that we need and how do we think about this stuff more deeply? Um, Just before we jump into the episode today, I do want to thank our Patreon supporters. Um, It's been kind of cool to be like, hey, there are some people out there who want to support us financially and that has enabled us to kind of improve some of our recording software and things like that. So just thank you to that and thank you to everyone who's uh, listening as well. Um, it's been a fun journey. We're be- beyond a year uh, now, and there's no end in sight. So uh, thank you. All right, Joel, you uh, you work at a security company. You know this stuff inside and out. So so let's dive right in with just understanding why is this topic even important in the first place. Yeah, I think so. Uh, for reference, I work at a company called Splunk. It's a data analytics platform. Part of their business comes from enterprise security, um, which is a whole, you know, world to talk about. It's like the digital security side, and like we kind of mentioned LastPass, and like when you see that like passwords got leaked online and all of those things, that's like the digital security world. And I think security is also maybe more important or more top of mind recently because you know there is a war happening right now, right? And as part of this physical war, there's cyber warfare, which is like digital warfare also. So there's an elevated sense of, and at the government level, at least of like critical infrastructure, like what could happen there. And then even for like individuals, there are, you know, security to your property, right? Your personal property, you know, should you have more protection because you feel concerned about the environment you're in? Um, what about fakes and the rise of phishing calls and scams, which I know, at least personally, I felt has been constantly increasing. Like I totally. get way more scam calls now than I ever before. And I'm like, should I, should I even change my number? Does that do anything? Or is it just like, no matter what number you have, you'll eventually get on these lists. So well, even my mom the other day, she posted something on Facebook. Um, uh, she had a friend reach out to her first who said, Hey, I saw someone else with your picture and name add me onto Facebook. Have you created a new account? And so it was kind of like a digital identity theft question of my own mom. And then she posted something on Facebook just about, hey, just be careful. I think someone's trying to hack or copy my account or something to that effect. And then she got all of, because she made it a, a worldwide post on Facebook. And then she had a whole bunch of these comments saying, hey, reach out to so-and-so on Instagram. I really trust their, I really trust them. Oh, and wow. so it's a very smart, and there's like four or five of these comments, not related to my mom in any way, like not a friend. But because she posted it publicly, if you post anything online about a hack right now, what the scammers are smart enough to do now is to say, hey, like, I'm not I'm not a fishy person. You know, I'm safe. Facebook, don't kick me off. I'm not doing anything against the terms of service of Facebook. All I'm doing is suggesting that I trust this person on Instagram. Now, that person on Instagram, they haven't posted a thing at all other than pictures of 
like fake pictures of of a family or whatever. And so the goal is that these hackers want you to meet that person on Instagram and then obviously go down the road of eventually giving up your money. And the way that they always try to do that is through gift cards or almost always. Sometimes they like send money to our bank account and you will somehow get out of Mm. this but they try not to do that because then they can be tracked so it's it's normally gift cards so that they can't be tracked but yeah so these scams happen and my mom was not a victim to it because she was smart enough to not follow those links and she deleted those comments after we talked on the phone but yeah like i've i definitely think with the rise of ai technology in the hands of evil people in the world and i'll just say it as it is there are evil people in the world um even if there's tons of well-meaning people made in the image of God and everyone's made in the image of God. Still sin is real. And there's people out there who are trying to access your information and that sort of thing. I think it's, it's sad almost that like a lot of the people who fall prey to scams are typically older, or at least that you see on like the YouTube videos, they're always targeting these people who are less, familiar with technology and that they're more likely to get duped because they can't tell, you know, the subtle nuances that can push you to be like, this is fishy. This is suspect from this is genuine. And it's interesting that maybe that age where you feel like you're a digital native is going to start dropping as you're mentioning with AI, because it gets a little bit more, harder to tell right and i mean like i actually surprisingly had an example this week um i got a phone call and it was a real person usually i get a phone call and it's like a pre-recorded message and i instantly yeah yeah those are so yeah those are easy right so i got a phone call and it was actually a person and he said you know this guy calling from coinbase and i was like what and he's like yeah coinbase you know crypto like okay and he's like yeah like we detected unusual activity from Colombia." on your account. And I was like, okay, sure. And I started talking to him and I could hear people in the background. There was some background noise, which I I didn't think of too much at first. And then slowly I was like, okay, like, can you validate some of my information? I mean, they must've had my email. They had my phone number. Obviously they called me, but yeah, I was like, this doesn't sound legitimate. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, then you'll just call us back. And then he like hung up and I was like, oh my gosh, was that someone trying to scam me? A hundred percent. Yeah. My like account access or something like that, you know, and it's, it's crazy. So the current context is that these things are going to rise. There's with, with AI now, it is, it is easier. Like I even told my parents this, it's like, it is possible now for someone to take the recordings of our podcast, use the audio files there in order to create an AI replica of my voice that therefore could be used to fake, Hey, mom and dad, I'm in need like this stuff. Oh yeah. It's changing now, right? We need to be ready for it. Um, and everybody likes to talk about the positives of AI, but or some people don't, some people are all fear and some people are all hope. And it's like, let's just, be realistic about this stuff. Um, But let's, let's unveil the curtain, if you will, of how security works then in an online age. Like we want to protect our emails, our pictures of our children. We want to, you know, it'd be, it'd be foolish not to have a password or we all know it's foolish to have your password be password. Right. Um, 
And, and I don't think we should just do a simplistic, how do you make a good password? Cause people can just Google that and like you make it complicated, hard to, all this stuff. Uh, maybe we'll get into that briefly, but, but I really want us to understand how security works to understand just what are the risks and how do we assess risks in creating passwords? So help okay, us with yeah. that. I mean, yeah, let's use the password example and go down this kind of like digital cybersecurity kind of explainer. So, I mean, as you mentioned, you don't pick a simple password. You pick something with numbers, something with special characters in not a common order. Like even using words is not recommended. And the reason for all of this advice comes down to one attack vector, which is really brute force attacking. So, you know, in an age where computers are getting more powerful, you could just keep trying different, different, different passwords um, until, let's say, after a week, a, like a couple weeks, it finally matches with the right password. And it will go through common passwords first. It will go through the dictionary first. Um, so there is a smart way to try and guess your password if you use a common word. And that's not a human sitting down typing it out. That's a computer algorithm that yeah, runs that's on a computer. A computer. Algorithm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was obviously like a big wave that happened. And then, you know, there were, it's all, security is really like an arms race. So I think like the, the next thing that we saw is that, hey, if you're trying to log in incorrectly five times, we're going to lock out your account. Right. So that's going to stop brute force. It still isn't like, well, someone can come back and keep trying that every so often. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a perpetual stop, but at least stop this. Like we're just going to brute force everything continually. Right. Um, so that was an interesting thing. But let's say you're a real person and you do enter your password wrong too many times, which has happened to me. And my account gets logged out or locked out. What happens is there is something at these companies, let's say it was a bank that I was trying to lock into, they have something called a security operation center or a SOC is what it's called in, in the cybersecurity world. And they will see a notification to be like, you know, user so-and-so has been logged out from bad password attempts. And they don't know if that's me or if that's like a, you know, hacker. And then they'll look into the details. They'll use this application. It's called a SIEM, Security Information and Event Management. And basically that just like captures all the details around what happened. So it says, oh, the IP address is coming from this overseas unusual place when mm -hmm. we know typically we're expecting someone in Toronto, right? So they'll start doing some investigating analysis and then they can flag it as fishy. And that's how you get into like fraud and all of those type of things. So these people sitting in the SOC, there are people hired at every company who focus on, you know, doing this, this type of work. Um, so definitely, you know, hats out to them. It's like we get free security that we're not paying for that these companies that we're entrusting are paying for, which is why it's also important to work with a reputable company, you know, a reputable bank, because they will have more of these things in place, right? So um, that's why it's helpful to go with recognizable brands when you're doing different things. Um, yeah, you might not like, you know, going through Google as a password, as your email and be like, oh, I'm going to use this upstart, like this new company, because they might be better as an email provider. And sure, there might be benefits there and they might like have great security. It's just that the smaller, the newer the company, the less likely they are to like really build up that 
infrastructure of IT. That I I remember feeling the the negative side of this working at the software company I was at trying to sell. I'd have the customer like Scotiabank customer. I got Scotiabank, one of the largest banks in Canada, to sign up for our product, Plum. But then I had to go through this grueling security assessment because they're like, you're a smaller company. You only have 35 full-time staff. We need to really see if your security is, is up to our level as a bank. And, uh, and yeah, like I think that's a that's good that these companies do that. They have that rigor. Um, but fundamentally, there's a question of risk. Sometimes Scotiabank would be like, you need to offer all of this advanced, like we offer encryption, we offer this, we offer multi-factor sign-on, you know, like yeah. all these best standards. But then, yeah, there's always more you could do, like in the same way that your house, your physical house could have security cameras, it could have laser beams on the floor that you go over. Oh, you trigger the laser beam and it shoots a dart out from the wall and boom, like, you know, you're, yeah. you're out. Yeah. Like you can have all that stuff. But what is actually necessary and what is not? And in the context of this arms race, it's very hard to determine. You can never have absolute security. You can never. Yeah. And there's, so there's extremes here, right? Um, but yeah, it's great I, that these larger companies have this stuff in place. Yeah. So I think I think that's a good thing to kind of like talk through is like, what do you recommend is like the risk level people should be comfortable with? And I think, you know, the easy thing to say out flat is like, it depends, obviously it depends on what you're securing and who, who you are and all those type of things. Um, and I think like in, in terms of like the house, like that you mentioned, right. It's like, you could have cameras on the outside as like a, a deterrent. Right. And then once they come inside, there's like other security measures you could have. You could have cameras on the inside or like security enforcements and alarm system where people come. Right. So there's like preventive security and then reactive security. And mm. I think like that's a good, you know, paradigm to start thinking about security in general. But then even on the preventive side, you can keep escalating. Like I could walk around with bodyguards. I could have a bodyguard posted <laughs> right. outside of the house. Right. And I, I obviously don't have that. Um, but for someone else that actually might make sense, right. Depending on the threat level, how targeted they are, um, so I think it is a nuanced conversation, which also just makes it more complicated because everyone just wants an answer. Everyone just wants to know, like, th tell me what to do. Should I right? use LastPass? Yes or no? And it's like, well, LastPass got hacked. And because they're one of the largest password providers, like you can read some of the stuff online that um, they, they admitted publicly. They're like, yeah, not only were they able to access our systems and see some of the infrastructure, but they hacked one of our employees' computers. Like it's just mm -hmm. wild that LastPass, even though they're it, for the most part a reputable company. Like I had a friend who asked me a year ago to like, hey, are they good? I'm gonna go with them, and I'm like, yeah, like they're good. Like they're not huge, but they're large enough with enough venture capital behind them that I would expect them to have. And and looking at their website, but yeah, so thinking about the like, just getting practical here. Like, should you use Google Chrome to store all your passwords? The the Benefit is the convenience, obviously, and nobody can remember all the passwords they need to access all these different websites. So by storing it, whether it's LastPass or Google Chrome, it has that layer of efficiency, but it also ensures that you're not using the same password across multiple sites. Um, yeah. And Google Chrome manages that. Now, the 
the downside is someone steals your computer, then they steal access to everything. And that's why I would say having multi-factor sign-in is so important to turn on, on multiple accounts. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say the same thing. I think like it's interesting because these tools like LastPass, Google Chrome, one one password is another like really popular yep. one. They They do offer valuable tools and capabilities. Like they will do something where they will say, hey, we've checked leaked passwords and from other websites have been hacked and your password was on that list. So now if you're reusing that password anywhere, it's compromised. So in that brute force scenario I mentioned earlier, they will brute force compromise passwords faster because Mm -hmm. maybe people haven't changed them. So there's a higher likelihood they'll get in. So, you know, they'll flag vulnerabilities. That's like a big part of security is like checking vulnerabilities. Then the next aspect is like, um, instead of you putting in a password, they'll create a random password for you. So they'll go to the website, they will pre-fill in this random password. And like, that's another layer you could use. But it all kind of comes back to, I think, MFA, which is what you mentioned, multi-factor authentication. That's super valuable. And I I would say, yeah, like if I got a notification and I wasn't logging in somewhere to say, hey, is this really you logging in? That's like a very strong, you know, second layer of defense to being breached, Um, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I think I'm I'm with you in saying MFA. It's annoying. It, It can be annoying. And like, you know, face ID and all these things like make it easier for sure. But it's still like, oh, I gotta like. It takes me like so long to like enter this website. An extra ten like, seconds. Yeah, I'm like, just think like fifteen years ago how slow the internet was. Just like compare it to that. Like you're gonna <laughs> lose some time. Maybe you won't have your whole world conveniently for you. Um, yeah, no, I I think I think doing that kind of stuff is essential. Um, doing that kind of multi-factor authentication and turning it on, and then that that allows it. The other thing you can do is just to do like an annual audit of your passwords. So Google Chrome allows you to do this and every website has this functionality. When you go into the settings, you go into security, you can see kind of like, oh, here are all the passwords, you know, all 170 passwords that I'm using. And it's like, why do I need to still have accounts on these websites? And so you can go on to each of those. I've done this before. I've gone to those accounts that websites that I'm not using anything and I've created passwords for, and it's like, delete all my data please delete all my data. Mm, and according to GDPR, they need to, which is the U- UK or Euro- EU, European yeah. Union um, guidelines, they have to delete. You have a right to be forgotten, um, yeah. which is an interesting right that exists now. We never thought that with the rise of the internet, we'd need a right to be forgotten. But now that exists. Um, it's a good protection. Um, and we need we need more rights to protect from AI risk, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... I, I think I think this is just helpful for people to think about it, even just having this conversation, it pop up on their podcast feed and just say, okay, maybe I need to do a security audit. Maybe I need right. to think okay, through so this kind here's of stuff. A, here's a twist, basically. Would Jesus use passwords, right? Like, what would Jesus tech? Um, what do you think, like, the Bible has to say around security? You know, I'm sure you kind of, you mentioned it before, obviously security is something that's important. We're secure in Christ, but I feel like that's scratching the surface. I'm excited. Yeah, because because yeah. 
Well, think think about some of the New Testament passages that we have, like in Acts two or Acts four, where where it says they had everything in common, right? So in that context, like Acts and Acts four thirty two, it says no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So the model of the early church is not personal protection of individual possessions. It is having everything in common. So what we actually should do is have a shared Facebook account, <laughs> shared a- Twitter account, shared Gmail account, everything in common. Right, Joel? No, no, no. So. I thought you were going to ask me to share my bank account with you and combine finances. (laughs) Okay, but I'm I'm not even joking. On Sunday, I was invited to preach at a church. And so it was like a serve Sunday. They were celebrating their volunteers. I was coming in to speak. So I went to Romans 12, which talks about some spiritual gifts and be like, use your spiritual gifts. But it also says um, you belong to one another. It says Christians belong to one another. And so there's a dependency that Christians have upon one another Mm -hmm. that we like how many passages are there about giving to the poor and taking care of one another like even jesus and this is sometimes quoted out of context when jesus is like um you know oh lord when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need clothes like when did that happen the king will reply truly i tell you whatever you did for the least of these you did for me and and we take that to think that's true of all poor people but it's actually the least of these brothers and sisters of mine so it's talking about the church so yeah, the, that's true. We don't just care for people generally and alleviate pro- poverty generally, though that's a good thing to do. Of course, the the church has especially the church in mind that we need to care for our family members and relatives first, and then our church family next, and then the broader community. And those that's all come right, yeah. in tandem. That's um, really, actually, that's really encouraging because I think, like, I mean, I haven't heard. I mean, I haven't heard that recently. It doesn't come to mind, but it's like, yeah, there are people at church that I can care for and help. And I may not even be thinking that because I'm like, oh, they're not, they're not poor. They're not struggling in poverty. Right. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be caring for them. Like you're mentioning Jesus saying. Right. Right. And I'm, and then let me, so I'm setting up this from, we need to consult the whole of scripture. The answer to the question, what would Jesus tech is a question of who is Jesus and, and how did he live? And it's, what did Jesus say about himself? He is the fulfillment of the law. So he was the fulfillment of what the law and prophets promised. We unpack this in detail with Jess Jelstra on that episode about how Jesus is the embodiment of the the law. He gives us an example of how to follow the law. So we need to take the Old Testament in mind too. And like right in the Ten Commandments, you have the assumption of personal private property in the commandment, do not steal, right? And that's unpacked um, like think about Exodus 22, it goes into detail, like whoever steals an ox or sheep or slaughters it or, and sells it, you know, you're steal someone else's thing. Well, you got to pay back five head of cattle for one ox or four mm-hmm. sheep for one sheep stolen. Like it's, it's seen as this like great offense to steal because you're, you're impacting the economy of that other person while it's stolen, all this kind of stuff. So it's like to truly do eye for an eye repayment, which is what the Old Testament talks about, then it's got to, you got to pay back even more than what you stole. Um, And so this assumption of private property continues into the New Testament. 
And so, no, we do not need to share credit cards. We do not need to share all of our social accounts with one another because there still is that assumption in the New Testament um, of kind of private property that that it is assumed. Like, it kind of goes back to, like, I'm going to give you this land. It even goes back to Genesis 1 of, like, you need to rule the earth. So, like, yes, everything in the earth is God's. But then God says, now it's yours. So it's both. So when you teach your kids to share... Um, you, yes, say it's good to share, but like, let's say your kid is playing with Billy and Billy goes and steals a toy from your kid. What you should say is not, it's good to share. Let Billy have a turn. You should say Billy stole like that's wrong. Billy. I don't like, I'm sorry. Don't do that. Billy. Like that's not right. You're going to have to wait for your turn or whatever. Like, yes, we need to teach sharing, but we also need to teach individual property ownership under God's sovereign ownership of all things. And so yeah. what this looks like is kind of unpacked in the New Testament, and I can go there in a second. Yeah, no, it's like love and justice. And I think even me and my wife have discussed this a bunch, even between our, our two boys, right? It's like sharing and having that heart of like sharing and not worrying, but then also being like, okay, this is a line that is crossed, you know, and like there needs to be a, a lesson. So Yeah, and think about what's assumed in this passage in Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Okay, makes sense. Repeat of Old Testament law. But they must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Mm. So what's assumed there, like generosity can only come out of private property, right? Right. Like you you could... You know, like you're not generous if you're just taking from a pool and sharing with a pool. It it needs to come out of your generous heart. And so there is this assumption of individual property in the New Testament is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, it's really helpful. And I mean, this is another tangent. I've like mentioned to my wife, it's like, it's hard for me to buy a gift now and feel like I'm really sacrificing because we have a joint bank account. So I'm like... I mean, you buying it for you, me buying it for you, obviously it's a thought that matters. But when we had separate bank accounts, it, to me, felt more meaningful. And obviously there's a nuance there, you know, we're married, two become one, etc. But I think between two, like, separate households, right, rather than sharing resources, it means something more that I've worked and created whatever I have in my personal property, and then I come out and become generous out of that, right? I think that really is you know, just rephrasing what you're saying and totally makes sense. Right. Yeah. It, you got to think about it as like these spheres, right? So there are things that are, are yours. And I think sometimes in marriage we can falsely, we can abdicate our role um, as husbands by just kind of saying, Oh, well, I'll let my wife decide. That's, that's what real servant hearted husband is, is just like, kind of giving up on making decisions and not treating, you know, the decisions with, with importance. So yeah, there's, there is that need of thinking about the things we share as ours. I mean, that's one side of the coin and the other side of the coin is some people exert their authority and they're way too domineering as a spouse. And so they need to chill. Uh, I mean, so like obviously security, there's like so much, it's, it's a huge topic. We didn't even talk about like malware and antivirus and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting distracted talking theology. Sorry, Joel. It's good. It's good. There's even like in this conversation, I'm like, okay, but then what about like 
physical security? Like, should the husband be providing the wife security? Like, in that, is there like anything there that I'm missing? Or is that maybe like a false expectation that like our society has put in? And I'm putting you on the spot for all these crazy questions, but I kind of want to know. No, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, sometimes the answers to these questions are, are ways that pastors get canceled. Right. Um, <laughs> like, like John Piper, he plays out this scenario, like he's a complementarian. So he believes that there's a distinction between the role of the husband and the role of the wife. And so he tells this story of like, what if the husband is like small, this little man, you know, five right. foot one, like he can't lift, you know, 10 pounds, right? But he's married to a karate champion <clears throat> wife, physical, physically fit or whatever. And then here comes someone like about to rob them or whatever, but all they have is like their own fists, right? And like, there's the, that moment of, well, I got to, I got to figure out what to do. Does the husband hide behind the wife or the wife hide behind the husband? Like, like what is biblically this idea of complementarianism played mm -hmm. out? And so he's like, what the husband still needs to do in that scenario is be willing to like take yeah, the first hard. blow. It's right. Yeah. And, and I think, so I'm, I'm a complementarian. I think there's something there to that, that the husband always needs to be willing to protect the wife, regardless of his own physical gifts. There's like this disposition towards yeah. protection, yeah. Oh. not because she's your property, but because you love her. And so yeah. you're going to do anything for her, including laying down your own life. And so, yeah, there's lots of things to talk about complementarianism and like, that's a whole other podcast. I mean, but... that's like solid biblical word. Like we're called to reflect Christ. Right. And he like laid down his life for us. And, you know, as, as leaders and reflectors of that in our, our household, like I feel that calling on, on me too. So yeah, no, that's solid stuff. So yeah. yeah, risk. What, how do you prevent that person from attacking and robbing your house? Like what is the level of, uh, you know, pre preparedness or precautions we think like our listeners should take? Yeah. Cause, cause yeah, we wanted to, we wanted to touch on risk at this point because some people can make the extreme of doing too much and some people can make the extreme of doing too little. So I'm okay with the lock and key, like, I'm okay with a fence in the backyard so that when my kids play, there's like a defined space, um, you know, and it's like, oh man, if we didn't have a fence between the yards, they could play with others. And then, yeah, they could also get attacked by the neighbor's dog. Like, you know, like there's, there's different things. And I think we need to be very thoughtful mm -hmm. in our consumeristic individualistic society that we kind of really like the individual possession text and we don't think about the sharing stuff. Um, so we kind of, worry too much about protecting our own rather than kind of having a disposition about, well, it's God's like, let's not, let's not fret about whether or not we lose something. Um, but yeah, thinking practically, like, I don't know, I don't worry too much. I like, I'm okay with Google Chrome. I'm okay with multi-factor authentication. I'm okay with like kind of staying up to date on the news a bit and just understanding if there's things that I should worry about, then I want to worry about them. Um, but I know I'm not the most important person in the world, so I know I'm not going to be hacked as as much. Um, I don't mm -hmm. post any pictures of my kids online because of the threat of AI basically recreating their image and 
you know, creating images of them online or things like that. Like, I don't like that. And not even just with AI. I just think it's, it, I've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't share yeah. personal stuff online. Like, I think that's one takeaway that on that preventative level, like if you're sharing selfies in front of your own house online, like, yes, it's true that we used to live in a day where there was the yellow pages and anybody could look up anybody's address. So really, is it so bad to have your own house known online. It's just that there are evil people in the world. And so yeah, yeah, I we just think, need to keep I mean, that in mind. Like it comes back to, I think the good question is like, yeah, would Jesus use security? Right. Or I said, would Jesus use passwords? And I think if you take it back to Jesus in his day, you know, did Jesus use doors? Did Jesus use locking doors? Right. Was his like door always open? Right. Like, or he used the security of the society that he was in. You know, mm -hmm. and as society progresses, like, you know, you talk about a shepherd protecting the sheep, it is wise to put up that fence to pre prevent the sheep from being bitten from the wolf, right? It's like, it is unwise to put the sheep in a precarious position that they might be, you know, snatched away. So there's wisdom in using security. Like, I believe God calls us, you know, mm -hmm. as just like shepherds of our home and of our like flock and to take security seriously, right? And like be wise. And that is what a good and faithful servant would do is like, you know, feel that call and then step up to the call and be like, well, at least like I need to do my due diligence of like researching and understanding like what I should do with this role that God has entrusted into me. And I think if you kind of like transport that as like technology goes on this evolution curve to today, it's like, yeah, the security that we have today is like we might need a fence in our backyard. We might need more prediction protections. We don't use the yellow pages anymore. We're not posting in front of our house because you could get doxxed depending on who you are. You might have like a swap party <laughs> called to your uh, house, right? Because you're getting doxxed. Regardless of where you are politically, it can happen to you. Yeah. So I think like that is interesting nuance is that as technology accelerates, we do need to keep up with the protections, right? Um, and I think as much as it might seem disparaging or like hard to be like, hey, this is an arms race and it's like a never ending race. It's like that's kind of our challenge is like we got to run the race. Right. We we got to keep going. And um, one of the other advantages that is coming to mind is like there will be specialists that can take some of this burden off of you. Right. Like we're using these tools, last pass one password. We don't have to have a piece of paper where we write down all our passwords that we can't remember. Right. So I think it is okay as a concept to start outsourcing some of the security pr protections rather than, you know, having everything in your home, you might have a security company, you might have other equipment and other people involved. So I think that is like a natural aspect that you will have security specialists that you kind of contract out that work to, um, for, for free, with ads or for a price or, you know, like different type of models for that. Yeah. And talking to people in your church too, like outsourcing some of the knowledge gain to others mm. in your own community and saying like, Hey, what do you do for security? Like just want to know. And that sort of thing. Like I've seen at Costco, they're selling all these security camera stuff. And I'm like, like, it's one of those, Oh man, in this crazy world, like a little bit of protection. I mean, that's in Canada, they sell security cameras in the States, they sell guns, right? So like, it's all about differences in context for security. Um, we could get into the whole gun thing, right? Like should, should Christians own guns as security? Um, cause that's a whole other 
piece there that <laughs> has been debated endlessly. Yeah. Yeah. Some people defend do not murder and they say that that is a proof text for owning a gun because you should use a gun to prevent someone from not murdering. And there is this kind of like, okay, well, wait, in the Old Testament, like justice was part of the Israelites were a nation state. And so there's a combination of political and, you know, anyways. So in the New Testament, I see, like you see in Romans 14, like vengeance is to the Lord's, not to ours. So like, I don't think we should just be killing people who come into our home. Um, but I'm not, I'm not all anti, anti, uh, just war. Like I believe in there's some just wars we must fight. And so there might be yeah. some just f fists we might need to throw. But anyways, there's a, there, that's just a little, little piece of a nugget that we might evaluate on a future episode on the technology of guns. Um, but for yeah. now, for now we can, we can, we just need to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. I think it's a big topic and I think it, it deserves to be spoken about because I think it's like, it's a tense topic. So not many people speak about it, right? Like they shy away from it. So I think, you know what, we're hearing it here. We will eventually put out an episode on, you know, the technology of weapons. Um, but even like you mentioned, like Israel today has like defense weapons against all of their enemies who are constantly firing rockets. Right. And I think in terms of like, you know, just to scratch the surface a bit in terms of the U S with like the militia and how the States became the United States and like all of these different things, there was this sort of like protect yourself from the government and there was no government. Right. So you had this militia and like that has been enshrined in their amendment, First Amendment or Second Amendment rights, right? So I think, you know, there's definitely a, a history to go to. And then like, well, what happens today, right? So anyways. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, no. It's it's like a, a TED Talk I watched years ago. And it's like, here are the five most important things you can do for a society in order to ensure that that society will flourish. And like one of the five was personal property, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you don't have people getting a sense of ownership of their own property, then they won't take care of it. That's just proven. And here we have in God's wisdom, centuries, decades, millennia ago, saying, you know, I will give you a land. Like, you're going to own this, Israel. You better take care of it. It's your land. Like, that's much of the narrative of the Old Testament. It revolves around them stewarding the land, importantly. And we didn't even mention that word, stewardship, but that's really what we're talking about. We need to yeah. steward the possessions that God has given us, steward the digital possessions that God has given us, steward ourselves and and take care of ourselves, um, take care of our bodies and the bodies of our families, um, and, and really to care for... Um, the the things out of respect for the god of all things who has given them to us yeah so yeah and this has been enlightening very um very good for me to sit and reflect right on security because it's one of those things i think it's like it either sounds boring or it's too complex and we often don't talk about it so it's been a long time coming and i'm glad we we did it yeah you did a good job of not being too boring you did you did like drop some language that I'm like, I'm not going to remember that Joel, but, but I, it was like, it felt like me sitting in some of the security meetings I did in the past for, uh, for my role. But, but anyways, thank you uh, listeners for, uh, for, for listening. Um, and thank you for your support. Uh, as I said, like we're, we're on the move as a podcast. We got guests coming up. Joel's finished reading. I was like, Joel, we got to read that book before we invite that guest. And Joel's yeah. like, he's like, I'm done that book. It's an awesome book. I have these takeaways. Like we're, we're really excited about what's going on. Um, I honestly see a huge gap right now in Christians thinking well about technology. I see some Christians who are just not following scripture in their teachings. There's like all sorts of just 
bad stuff out there that I'm realizing. And then there's others that are just take this blind, naive optimism, others that are just blind, naive pessimism. We need to think well. And uh, it can't just happen in a book. It needs to be needs to be more live like these podcasts are not doing just the news of yesterday, but the news of the last six months kind of thing is what we try to do that, that we can think about some of those more meta topics. So, so thanks for your support. Really appreciate it. Go ahead, Joel. No, yeah, I was just going to add in, you might want to cut this out and put it in Patreon only. But uh, last week I was down in California and I met a lot of um, Christians who were thinking about how could they could create technology. So, you know, we'll definitely have that in future podcasts. I think we'll start connecting a lot more of these pieces on like, you know, this is a movement right now. Um, and yeah, that'll be really exciting. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Things are happening, you know, get pumped. Things are happening. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And uh, if you want to keep supporting us, please do uh, rate us on iTunes. Please follow us on our social media. Um, some of you, you follow us on just your podcast app, and that's awesome. But one of the things that help us grow is for more people to be made aware. And so simply by helping that algorithm uh, out by by liking us on uh, or subscribing on YouTube and then following on Twitter, or, or maybe we'll get a Facebook page because uh, we've got some feedback that maybe we should. We're like, oh, man. And Facebook so yesterday, but maybe we should do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we we should probably we should probably we're 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 professional podcasts now, even though we're just two amateurs trying to do our best. So thanks for listening. Uh, we just encourage you to to use tech, use the technology that exists out there to to secure your digital and physical possessions. Um, but find rest. Do not find your ultimate hope in the security of these pieces of tech, but find your security and rest in God um, and ultimately do everything to glorify him. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Bye.